Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Right. You guys have a good week this week? Okay. Yeah. I know when we come in here every single week, um, there are people that are on all different uh, parts of feeling. Maybe you've had a great week. Maybe you've had an awesome week. Uh, Some of you did not have a great week, and I'm aware of that, you know, and so again, I just hope that your time uh, together with us this morning is encouraging for you. Uh, that you leave here knowing that God loves you no matter what and, uh, and that we uh, love you as well and that you have a home here. So thank you again for joining us no matter how you're feeling or where you're at today. Uh, we are finishing up a series uh, today uh, that we've called Shut Up the Lies We Believe. And if you'll allow me, because I know that there are several who have not been here for the series, I'm going to take a few minutes just to kind of recap it. This is our last week, and so I want to kind of talk about what we've been uh, exploring, uh, Carrie and I, as we've gone through this teaching time. Because here's the deal. All of us are believing a lie. I don't know if you realize that, but all of us are believing a lie. Now, the lie is going to be different For every single one of us, there's going to be a different version of what you might be uh, believing, but all of us, make no mistake, are believing some kind of a lie this morning, and what we've tried to do is to highlight some of those. In fact, a lot of them have come right from your your mouths, the things that people at Hope Church maybe are struggling with, maybe is that something our society or culture is believing right now that we need to be careful about. Um, so we've tried to be attuned to that. So when we started this, I went way back to the beginning. I'm like, first of all, we've got to figure out where lies even came from. And so we went back all the way to the beginning of time, and we found out that we do have a really true enemy. Sometimes we just kind of put it out of our mind, but we have someone who is not for us and is always against us, right? He's sometimes called the devil. He's called Satan. He's called the accuser. There's actually 33 different names for, uh, for, this, for this evil, but one of them is called the great deceiver. And so we have to know that he is not for us. He is against us. And he is so good because his lies are so subtle. And his goal is always to separate us from God. If there's anything you want to take away from that is he is always trying to separate us from relationship with God. Wherever you are in your journey, he's trying to push you farther and farther away. But here's the thing. It's not always so black and white. Oh, yeah, see, get behind me, Satan. Not today, devil. You know, we see some of those shirts, right? No, no, no. It's very, very subtle. And so we went back and talked about that. And here was what I said. I was like, there's nothing more powerful than the power of a lie. And that's true. But then we had to take it a step further to really uncover the truth, except for the truth. There's nothing more powerful than the power of a lie, except for the power of truth. And so we want to explore truth, because here we feel like we can find truth through what God says in his scripture. And so we went back to the next week, and we talked about this lie of shame, this intensely uh, deep feeling of believing we're flawed, and therefore we're unworthy of love or belonging. Some of you are believing that today. The lie is, I'm not accepted or loved for who I am. And so what do we end up doing with that? We end up hiding who we really are. 
But the truth is, God sees you, you are loved, you are accepted, and you do have value. Then the next week, we explored this really popular phrase today that we hear. It says, you do you. You do you. Now, there's a lot of great things about that, but there is a subtle lie that we may end up believing when we take that to its fullest extent. Because if we're not careful, we may end up believing that we are the ultimate authority in our life. You do you. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And the lie is about authority. Who's in charge? The world's ultimate idea of authority is you. But as a follower of Jesus, our ultimate authority is him. And so the truth is uh, that we are not our own Lord and masters. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. But again, this is, a, this is the journey. This is the journey that we're on, okay? Last week, we talked about the lie of limits, the lie of limits. We talked about the lie that we believe about limitations in our life. And here's the lie, that limits restrict us and are bad for us. That these guardrails are meant to hedge us in. But as Carrie uh, so uh, beautifully put, she said, no, truth is limits are, that are, from, are not from God create oppression, but limits that are from God create freedom. And so here we are today, we're coming to the final uh, talk of the series, and so we will get to that in a second. So uh, as a way of starting this off, I would like by a show of hands for you to answer this question. How many of you have children that are right now learning how to tie their shoes? Okay? There are several of you in here. You poor souls. Get that? Souls? No. Dad jokes. As a person who wants efficiency in everything he does, I always struggled with my kids trying to tie their own shoes. You might feel my pain here. Um, my, my two kids, I've said before, are very different by personality. And so I have one who is very stubborn and they will not like to be told what to do. And even when uh, they were that little, there was no trying to help this child. Now, my other child, much more complacent, we just gave them Velcro and they were totally fine. <laughs> right? You feel me on that? For like 10 years. No, I'm just kidding. No, so, so when we were running late, okay, again, that's another whole story I will not go into. You know, me, for me, being on time is being early. Um, for my wife, being on time is being on time. So that's always a stress for us. We're trying to get in the car, right? And so then we have our toddler child trying to tie their own shoes, and I need to help this process and speed it up, right? So I bend down and say, let me help you. And you guys know, if you have, if you have kids who are learning how to tie their shoes, all of a sudden they look at you with like that crazy eyes, and they say, no, what? I do it myself, I do it myself, right? At least that's what it was for us. And I thought that was a great way to capture because honestly, that's the beginnings of a lie I think we begin to believe for the rest of our lives. And some of us today are believing that lie. And I would love uh, to explore that a little bit today. 
In one way, shape, or form, we believe often that we can do this ourselves. We can't help it. We were born this way. And I don't know if that's because God hardwired us that way. I do think that's a piece of it um, to do and to achieve and to pursue. Or if it's just deeply rooted in the sin nature, that bad nature that we all have, right? And so the truth is, you know, developing life skills and even goals are really, really important. And we need to do that. There's a lot of great things about doing things ourselves. A psychologist would call this self-efficacy, right? We need to be able to do things on our own. Uh, it's really important, really healthy, really good. It gives us a sense of purpose and of self-worth and of importance and self-confidence. So that you can do it mentality can be really healthy. It's, it's how things get done. And I just keep hearing that uh, movie line, you can do it, you know what I'm talking about, the Adam Sandler movie. So for those of you, uh, some of you in here, this is actually kind of a stronger impulse or a stronger feeling maybe. This is how it might demonstrate itself for you. Some of you have had life experience of having to make something out of nothing your whole life, right? You did not have maybe some of the advantages others had. And so you've had to fight for everything. And so you have this really strong spirit of, I can do it. I can do it. Some of you maybe throughout your life have, have felt less valued or you feel second place in a lot of things that you do. And so you have this spirit now that you've nurtured and developed. I can do this. I'm better than they said I was. Some of us, by personality, have this wired into ourselves automatically as an Enneagram one, which is what I am. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, uh, but as an Enneagram one, I certainly have uh, this, this thing uh, inside of me. So I need to do it, and I need to do it right. In fact, other people can't really do it as well. I will do it myself. Sometimes that's good, but sometimes that is not very good. And so when, I say, when we say, I can do it, we can do it. Uh, we're talking about often goals and skills that we're trying to develop and, and are developing, and again, all that's good. But now, since we're in church, the spiritual journey, and I don't think it's as cut and dry. It's just not that simple. We need to be careful about what we say when we say you can do it. And for the time remaining today, I want to talk about that. And I want to bring out this, remember, subtle lie that we may begin to believe about the fact that we can control our lives or control our destiny. You don't have to um, scroll too far down social media to see posts that may seem something like this. And I did this, this search this week. Uh, and so this is what I came uh, through. And it says, there's different quote slides, you know how they're like beautiful, like scenery behind it or whatever. And the text pops over to the top and it says, it says, you can control your own destiny. Another one said, control your own destiny or someone else will. Another one said, you are the master of your destiny. You can influence, direct, and control your own environment. You can make your life what you want it to be. Another one said, you make yourself what you are. 
Another one said, and this is my favorite, you say yes when others say no. You rise while others sleep. You're better today than you were yesterday. You do what others will not. You control your destiny. Now again, by personality, some of that might really speak to you. I know that it does for me. These words of self-affirmation, these words of believing in yourself, you can do it, you have the strength to do it, you can pursue, you can push through this. Yes, I connect with that. I'm really drawn to that. I'm a kind of person who wants to be motivated. I wanna be motivated to be my best self. Sometimes you, I'll even put these on my wall or on a plaque in my office or whatever just to be reminded of these positive affirmations. And I think even when we were talking about this series, we had talked about even it's good that we're positively affirming the truths that we find in our lives. But I'm just gonna say for a minute, not so fast. I want us to see somewhere in here where some of us are believing the subtle lies about controlling our life and destiny. And so I wanna be careful about our theology when it comes to this. Let's just take the basic building block, number one, salvation. This path to Jesus, this search, this journey towards Jesus, towards true life that we talk about here all the time. And we need to think about this phrase, I can do it, when it comes to uh, the theology of our salvation. This, I can do it on my own, when it comes to finding true peace and true joy and salvation. See, the Bible is really super clear about the destiny of man. Did you know that? Of mankind. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. That means every single one of us have this sin nature. There's something wrong. There's a problem here. But here's the good news. The good news is that there is a way out. And God provided outside help. See, we're not good enough to do it on our own. We're not good enough to save ourselves. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of what we need to do. So we need outside help. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. And, I, and again, I realize that the, even people in this room right now may be thinking uh, this way, and I understand that. This, I can do it on my own. If I just do the right things, if I just do what's good, I'm gonna be okay. But if we read on and we get a fuller sense of the theology of Scripture, it says the gift of God, only by the gift of God, by his grace, do we get eternal life, and that's through Jesus. And so this is the story of the cross that we celebrate. It's why you see them on the church walls and church steeples and all that kind of stuff. It's about the resurrection of Jesus, that he overcame death. We've talked about that before. We can't achieve this on our own. We don't achieve heaven on our own. And that's why this church is here. It's got to be the primary voice of God's church. And in a world that's very enlightened and very self-sufficient, we all know this, we've talked about this a lot, the message of Jesus sometimes, and I've heard this over and over again, it's just too simple. It's too simple. But when we realize that we're not as enlightened or sufficient as we think we are, 
we can finally cross into this new life experience with Jesus, that there's something that changes. We cross this line of faith. And this is what, this is true humility. This is what the Bible calls repentance, okay? And this question, by the way, of ultimate destiny is vitally important to all of us. Every single person who's hearing my voice today, this question of ultimate destiny is vitally important for you to think about. And the number one goal of Hope Church is to help people think through that and discover a path of salvation. Therefore, we believe leading a life of true peace and true joy and true fulfillment. And that's only found in Jesus. He's the only one who could save. This I can do it on my own approach falls short. But I want to take it to another step today where it might hit some of you a little bit differently because this is where I think some of you are. Let's say, let's say you've crossed that line of faith this morning. A lot of you in here would say, yeah, I have. And so now you're growing in your faith and you're learning more and you're becoming comfortable with Jesus as the Lord of your life and you're growing into serving others and you're, you're growing into bringing this new path to your family. And so now we begin to believe maybe just a little more subtle lie about this. And I thought, again, I would use, uh, by way of illustration, a conversation that I may or may not have had with myself over a cup of coffee over the last couple of weeks. So let me illustrate this for you. Thank you, God, for your many blessings. Look at what I have. I'm so blessed. I have a roof over my head. I have food on my table. My wife loves me. My kids love Well, they say they love me. I have good friends in my life. I have a, a great church community where I'm learning more about you and how to help others. Actually, my friends even ask me for advice sometimes because they respect me and they'll know I'll be honest and loving and, and gracious. Thanks, God. Thank you. I know I don't deserve it, but, you know, I, I have worked really hard to get to this place. I mean, I've, I've always been a hard worker. And I was no fool. I specifically chose Sarah as my wife when I had lots of other available options. But in parenting, I mean, I think I'm doing pretty okay compared to others. I'm not too harsh, not too soft. They're respectful at school. The things I have, money, well... I haven't wasted it on silly things like so many people do. We, we worked hard and we save and we follow Dave Ramsey. We give regularly and I'm sure we give more than most people. So I know that honors you and, and that'll bring blessing in my life. Thank you. Thank you, God. Hmm. Do you have any uh, music in your head when you have thoughts? Throw it away. That was a strict tape recording of, of, of my quiet time this week. Just me. So let's consider that conversation for just a second. 
my conversation with God. It's subtle, but I think there's a subtle lie that's starting to go on as I develop in this conversation with God. Maybe some of you heard it. And it's this lie that maybe I actually have something to do with my destiny. Maybe I had something to do with the way things have worked out in my life. And I want to be very careful. Again, I also know this is very subtle. So I want to be able to talk through that. Here's the lie. Here's the lie today that we might be believing. Some of you might be believing. Here it is. You can control your life and your destiny. You could control your life and your destiny. Actually, uh, the first reference that came to my mind, the first story that came to my mind as I was rehearsing this and I was thinking about these thoughts was this, was this, um, this story that Jesus tells. We find it in Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to put it on the screen. You can go look it up after. But he says this. He goes, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Understand that these are two different classes of people. The Pharisees were very educated. They were the religious and moral authority in their day. They lived there. The thing that they were most known for is just by living by the rules. They did what was right. Now, tax collectors, on the other hand, maybe not so dissimilar from today, they were despised people. They were looked at as pretty low. They could sometimes be pretty mean and so you had this contrast of two people who come to the temple to pray. And so the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. This is what he prayed, Jesus says. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I did the right thing. I give you a tenth of my income. I do the right thing. But then the tax collector, he stands at a distance, says he dares not lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. The Pharisee clearly believed his destiny was different from the tax collector and that he had something to do with it. And became so bold and audacious to say that out loud to God. All these merits that I've built up. And the, the passage fi finishes by saying, I tell you this. This is Jesus talking. The sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, it makes sense for us as humans. It just makes sense. We're all here that if we do the right things, if we make the right decisions and the right choices, if we follow the golden rule, do unto others as I would have them do to me, even if we look to God in our daily lives as I try to do, that everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be good. Life will be good. Generally speaking, if you do these things, we'll be able to avoid bad things happening. And this is where we begin to believe the lie because this false sense of self-control begins to start building up. Do you see this? Here's the thing. We know by now this is not how life works. All of us know. 
So something else we all wrestle with, which is just like the subset of this whole area is this question, and I hear it all the time, and so do you. Why do bad things happen to good people? This is such a hard question. It's a very interesting question, actually, and we'll truly never fully know the answer. I'm just going to tell you right now. There's no great answer for that question, but I can tell you that this question alone is a hindrance, maybe even for some of you in your journey of faith. And the best that I can tell, a lie of control lies at the very heart of this complicated question. And again, for the next few minutes, I want to explore this. And I want to go back to the very first scripture that was ever written. And believe it or not, most scholars believe it's not Genesis. Now, Genesis tells about the first things that happened in the world. And we went back to that when we talked in the first part of this series about the kind of the origin of mankind, the origin of sin, you know, God, all that kind of stuff. All right, so, but it's not Genesis. Believe it or not, there's this maybe even somewhat obscure book in the Bible, somewhat towards the middle, that is actually believed to be the very first account written in Scripture, uh, told about in Scripture, and it's by, um, it's called the book of Job. And this, if you read this, is the most mind-boggling and maybe most frustrating book in the entire Bible. And we're gonna read the whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to read just the first chapter, just a few verses in the first chapter, as we look and we see if we can explore anything about this idea of control. It's a very, very interesting passage. If you have a Bible, you could turn to Job chapter 1. If you're online, Job chapter 1, it's going to be on the screen as well. Let's read together Job, not together, but together. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. I'm gonna hit the pause button. We're getting a pretty good look at this guy right here. There are lots of things that we pick up right away. What are some of the things that we pick up? He's got it pretty good. He's blameless. Yes, he has children. Actually, that's a really, really important point that we're going to get to in a second. He's got wealth. He's got status. And every time I see a passage of scripture like this where it says the most or the best or whatever, I always, my ears always perk up when it talks about this in the Bible. So I find this fascinating already, okay? I think it's gonna get more fascinating. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, so they're partying hard, Okay? Job would purify his children. He'd get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have hurt, cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. I'm going to stop again because someone was pretty inept there. Inept, you know, adept. 
he goes the extra mile for his children, like we all do. In fact, he took it further. He actually pleaded before God for his kids. And again, I'm not going to go into all of this because there's way, way, way too much in this book. But there's a lot that we could read into just his regular practices. He was so concerned. He was so upright. He was so morally in this place that he wanted this for his children as well. And so he sacrificed. He got on his knees. He made these offerings to God on their behalf. We're seeing an extraordinary man here. Someone with, I think, probably a great amount of discipline and a great amount of love for Jesus. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, here's our guy, the accuser, Satan, came with them. Again, now we're hitting one of the maybe one of the most confusing passages in all of the Bible. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's been going on. By the way, we talked about this as well. The enemy is called the prince of this world. You realize that? So here we have some, we're seeing already this this peek into somehow in this spiritual dimension, God and the devil are able to communicate and see and talk and whatever. And there is some level of power that this enemy has. And he just comes up, they have this conversation. I've been seeing what's going on. And then this is what strikes me. The Lord asks Satan. Not Satan didn't come to God. Says, the Lord asks Satan, have you noticed Job? You know that guy who's got everything? That guy who's all set? The guy who worships me? The guy who's got his priorities all set? Take a look at him. He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replies to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear you, God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. God, since we're having this conversation face-to-face, reach out, take away everything that he has, and he's going to curse you to your face. All right, God says, go ahead and test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but you can't harm him physically. And so Satan left the Lord's presence. The rest of the book of Job describes what he went through. But what I find fascinating, and for our purposes today, is that God said to the devil, go ahead. Have at it. This is crazy. This is mind-boggling. It's mind-bending. It doesn't make any sense See, everything that we're striving for, the things that we think are these, you know, these merits or these, these really high things, Job had it, okay? Satan was given permission to get at it. And if you read the book, he lost it all. What do you do? 
What do you do with that? There's a lot that's confusing about this book of the Bible. And there's a lot as a result that's confusing about God. But one of the lessons I think that Job teaches us without a doubt is this. Your, your decisions do not necessarily determine your destiny. Your decisions do not necessarily determine your destiny. And for you control freaks like me, this blows me out of the water. It doesn't seem right. I think just any human, it doesn't seem right. But in our attempts to understand the ways of God, we have to begin to understand and get comfortable with the fact that God is in control of all things. And I would also suggest, as another way to think about this, that our lack of control is probably a really good thing. Because then again, I'm just reminded of that first story we hear about in Genesis where Adam and Eve were tempted, right? And maybe a lot of you know this story, but basically the enemy, the accuser, he comes down and says, hey, if you do this thing, because they were fine. He, you do the, you will what? You'll be like God. See, that's, that, that's, that's the illusion of control. When we want to control, basically we're saying we want to be the God of our life. And yet we would have made the same exact decision that Adam and Eve would have. Because that's what they were promised. They were promised control of their own destiny, were they not? They were promised control of their own destiny. That is the lie of control that we have. There's a lot of other lessons with Job, and it's almost a disservice to not talk anymore about that. And I don't mean to be mean. You should just go ahead and read that for yourself and start to wrestle for the rest of your life with that book as well. But here's some other things that I think Job teaches us. Number one, our hard work does not necessarily lead to material things and spiritual blessings. Your issues and struggles are not because of a lack of faith. In other words, sometimes good things happen, bad things happen to good people. Three, your goodness does not determine you're standing with God. And yes, sometimes God is perplexing. And yes, things are happening in a spiritual dimension that we cannot see. And yes, and maybe most importantly of all, God loves to redeem impossible messes. And I could go on and on, but I'm running out of time. So I want to finish up with encouragement for you today. What did I say from the outset of the series is the deceiver's goal in the lies that he tells us? Anybody remember? Yes, to separate us from relationship with God. The deceiver's goal for your life and for my life is whatever he does, he wants to disconnect you from God. And in that light, as we wrap this up, and in the light of all this crazy stuff that's happening in Job's life and that whole account, and why did it all get taken away, and why did all the bad things happen to the good people who were really taking their time to do with the right thing on their lists, to control their life and destiny, I want to leave you with a few verses. Actually, let's call them positive affirmations. Let's call them positive affirmations from God's word today that I hope you leave here, the control freaks that you are, encouraged. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, and I've just bullet bulleted these. I'll read 
the whole passage. You're gonna just look at the bullets here and you're gonna just concentrate on them. You're gonna put them in your mind. You're gonna store them up for when you think things aren't as they should be. When you're trying to control things and you just realize, I can't do this. Listen to this. So what do we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand. I love this, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate you from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or are in danger or are threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, nothing, no one could ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our master, our authority. If that doesn't encourage you today, I'm out of it. I'm out of options. I seriously... This is such a powerful scripture for me to remind me that no matter what we go through, even the bad things, even as we try to control our own life and destiny, he's ultimately the Lord and master and he has got us. He loves us no matter what. And by the way, nothing is powerful enough to take us away from him. I used to believe, maybe this would be helpful. Maybe I used to believe when I was growing up and I grew up uh, in church and hearing about God, I was so worried about this thing, about losing that because I did something wrong. Anybody ever feel that way? Like how could God love me and guess what? I might lose this. I might lose this salvation because I do something wrong. God says, no, 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 no. You understand. Once and done, you accept me, you receive me. I have you, I have you in the hand, my hand. Nothing can separate you from my love. There's another verse that says, no one can pluck you from the Father's hand. Don't ever forget that. So I know it's subtle. I know it's really subtle. But I hope for you as it is for me that we start to just kind of start breaking down that lie, the lie of controlling our own life and destiny and replace it with this truth. And here's the truth today. Your destiny is in the best possible hands. Believe it. 
Your destiny is in the best possible hands. And note, they aren't your hands. They're not yours. I'm gonna leave you again with two other verses and then I'm done. Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord's gonna work out plans for your life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. He's got you. He's got you. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes everything. Does that mean all the good stuff? Yep. Does that mean all the bad stuff too? Yeah. That God causes everything to work together for the what? So those of you who know the verse, say it louder. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his, very interesting word, purpose, his plan for your life. So may God give us the grace and the ability, seriously, the grace that we need to start combating this lie of control in our life. Let's pray. Lord, I am going to sit here and I'm gonna declare that you are good. Your goodness never runs out. It runs after us as the song that we sang. And Lord, we help us to believe that. Even when bad things happen, help us to believe that you're good. And help us to combat the lie in our lives that we had something to do with it. Yes, you ask us to do what's right. And we're going to be faithful to that. We're going to do the best we can to make the right decisions in our life. But God, ultimately, you are in control. And we're going to hand that in whatever ways that we can today off to you. And help us to see that. There might be some people in here saying, nah, this doesn't apply to me today. That's, that's the lie.